Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of George Strait, ACL, hardcore music, sticking up for your fellow man, and so much more. Today we're chatting with the amazing Colin De Laval from Cotogo Mezcal and Tequila. He's the master mixologist. You know, his name was being kind of floated around. It, it's weird. I'm not. I don't really vet people that are on the show. Like I'll talk to anybody, but I had so many people tell me how much of a great guy he was. And I was like, man, well, I gotta, I gotta do this thing. So we start talking, shows up and I instantly hit it off. And this is one of those kinds of chats that if you can't tell, it's, it's so connective. You know, we had never met before, but then we're talking about hardcore music. We're talking about movies. We're talking about Mescal. We're talking about Codigo people, <laughs> performative agave posts, if you will. And it was really, really a lovely experience getting to chat with him. And the Sipte Ancestral that's from Ixcatlan. I've been out there. This is a great bottling. You know, they did it because they love mezcal, not because they're trying to make money, you know, how cool George Strait is. So it's a really, really lovely chat. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Colin De Laval from Cotigo Tequila. Yeah, it's 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 one it's of those like that, right? it's one of those things where like we clap for nurses and doctors, which I think was great. Yeah. But then we let service workers get evicted. And we're the backbone of the nation. I mean, nurses and doctors are incredible, but if you can't go get a drink, what are you doing? Civilization will crumble. hundred percent. And it almost did. Uh right in the middle of the whole thing, right? Like you couldn't get booze out, you couldn't go spend time. It was the highest rate of divorces that the nation has ever seen. Yeah. Bars were open back up, everything chilled. So, like, <laughs> clap for us too, man. It, it, it was so weird. There was one, because I, I own a distillery, which is different. Right, so it's a different level of scrutiny. But, again, if you, as a service worker, or bartender, whatever you want to call it, don't need product, right? I got nothing to make. Right. So I'm sitting on my hands as well. But it's so weird, the kind of prejudice that came out after against service workers and saying that they're low skilled yep you know how does that make you feel when you you know damn well they've got ample skills much better socially than probably people that are making 50 times as much i i think about it in such a way that um you know people call the janitor unskilled oh right um the backbone of the nation is the most skilled underpaid workers that exist right um and the ones who are calling us unskilled generally sit and push numbers on an excel sheet all day and anyone can do that in their sleep yeah, you, on, as a number, everybody looks like an asshole. Sure. And actually, I hadn't thought I was going to talk about this. You, you know George Carlin, of course. Yep, of course. I don't know if you're a fan of George Carlin or not. Big fan. Huge fan, too. And the, it, there was this HBO documentary that just premiered on Friday. Judd Apatow did it, yep. which is you know, it's going to have some heart and obviously some humor. Sure. sure. But there was this notion as George Carlin, really great portrayal of him, by the way. You get all the angles. You really feel like you get to know him. Right. Which you feel like you get to know him from his work, but not in this way. Right. And he said, you know, 
I have many people come up to me after gigs and say how important my work's been for them. And he says, I really love people individually. Yep. yep. <laughs> but, but when you get a groove, I don't like him so much. I think, I think it's the general bartender problem, right? Like your one guest sitting across from you is incredible. Um, and you can share mm. your sorrows. You can share your happinesses. You can talk about what's going on in their day or whatever. And then you're nine deep behind the bar and everyone's waving money at you and yelling and getting mm -hmm. frustrated. And you're like, these folks are rough, man. Like yeah. sometimes you just want to go home. It's, it's really, really strange. And another thing to the point of how important and the backbone, you said the foundation potentially of our society, our social well-being is at bars and restaurants and stuff. You know, you were telling me something about, you know, your sister had just finished, got a degree in hospitality. Yep. Whereas we both know whether you're a drummer that has to carry his kid up the stairs or you're a bar back that has to go run and get ice or whatever, that conventional education right. is kind of worthless, right? It only gets you as far as you are willing to push it to get you. But I've, I've told many people this over the years. I, I ran a bar in Houston called El Big Bad for some years. Um, we had a bar back named Mancho. And... <laughs> Mancho took the day off because he was sick mm -hmm. and it was the worst day of service we've ever had. So like while I understood philosophically how to do what he does, mm -hmm. I couldn't actually accomplish it. So I think that of the same way as higher education, right? Like you understand it philosophically, you understand the theory, mm -hmm. you have yet to do it. You can only learn by doing. That's it. <clears throat> how do you feel? Because being in the academy, you know, obviously I jump around a lot in these conversations, but there's sure. always a, a common thread in it. A lot of people... When so, uh, let's say a mescalero is making mezcal in a certain way, let's say a tequilero is making it in a certain way, and you have a lot of people that never have done it, right? Saying, Well, that's not the right way to do that, yeah, yeah. Do you experience that a lot? That are people like, That's not traditional, yeah. I think, again, going back to the philosophical versus doing, um, I think a lot of bartenders who are very smart people have general ideas on how something should be because mm -hmm. we're sold this idea that this one very specific way is the way. And if it's not done that way, it's not done right. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like when you're dealing with mescalerios or pardon. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they do it the way they've done it because they understand it that way and they appreciate it that way. But they also don't like kind of beckon at other folks that they're doing it wrong. That's the difference, isn't it? Right. That you can take distillation and at least go contrast it to what's being done in Ixcatlan with this ancestral that you all have. Right. But that's not the same. How can one be traditional and the other not? Sure. Yeah. And it's because it's just a hyper local thing. Right. Like how to, okay, barbecue is probably the best example in Texas, right? 100%. We don't really do burnt ends. We do, but it's not the thing. We're a brisket town. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Does that mean that we're wrong because we focus on brisket? Right. And I, you know, I, so I, I think about it in that context. And I talk about this a lot as I travel the country when we talk about our fermentation in our tequila and mm -hmm. we're using bread yeast as, as opposed oh, to cool. industrial yeast. Yeah. Um, it's a very slow and low fermentation. I hearken it back to this barbecue idea all the time. Oh, yeah. Nice. And, but I also try and appreciate everybody else and say, look, they do it that way and it works for them. Mm -hmm. We do it this way because we truly feel like our agave appreciates it and makes the best spirit possible, but I'm not backbiting anybody else. Yeah, it's not about what... Everybody somehow thinks that we all have to do things the same way. Sure. You got to create art in the same way. Right. You know, and I'll come back to Carlin here a second. He did it in his own way, and we 
his immediate fans felt the immediacy of that because you had to go seek out Carlin. You had to go seek out his art. Whether you saw him on HBO, which was really good for him in his career, where you got to see him live or whatnot, you know. But now, even though he's being lauded as a prophet, more or less, right. if he was doing this shit now, do you think he would be able to say these things? Of course. I mean, it would it would be extremely <laughs> problematic almost instantly. <laughs> it would be, yeah. It, so it's like we we want the the rogue things and want the tradition. When it comes down to it, we ruin it. From a you know from the Carlin example, you look at you look at Mescal, right? And there's such a breadth of agaves you can use in that industry. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to monoculture it by doing just espadine, and mm-hmm. that is it. And this is now the way that everyone pushes. It's espadine or nothing, mm-hmm. and it's this process or nothing. And you know, in Mescal, we're lucky enough that there are people out there in these beautiful communities who are pulling different agaves that are far more interesting yeah. and making really incredible spirits. It's it's a good time for mezcal as, as it is a bad time for mezcal. Sure. You know, I think that, you know, the growth of tequila as a category is just becoming incredibly massive. Right. The growth of mezcal, not massive, but, you know, 40% growth typically year over year, which yep. is, you know, if you having kids at a 40 percent increase rate a year eventually you're gonna be fucking out of house at home right <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> in a couple of mormon families i lived in salt lake for sure, a while like, yeah y'all don't even have room in the house anymore for, for all these kids but do, does it concern you at all this growth that the quality won't be able to be preserved so i think i think from that perspective there are the brands that are going to survive because they are good quality and there are the brands that are going to make a huge splash push a ton of cases out the door then they're going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can produce a spirit for long enough that someone finally is like, this isn't that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll start to see collapse and growth in those things. But I think overall, from the agave industry standpoint, I think it's a great time for Mezcal because there is competition out in the market. Yeah. Um, and it's forcing everyone to kind of step it up a little bit as opposed to like these old school, like I've got a worm in the bottom of the bottle. Mm-hmm. This is what do you got in the bottom here? Right, right. Yeah. You got, you got a scorpion, yeah. you got a snake. We've, we've finally made it to a point where while there is a ton of overproduction of Espadine, mm-hmm. um, it's being used in a better way. I think that that's true. I think that's true. There's just a lot of change. And, you know, I've personally been the target of, of a couple bits of criticism just about making what I consider art, but then people sure. tell me like, you can't make art. It's like, ah, isn't that called censorship? Right. <laughs> so, right. But this is, it, it's an eternal debate with like Texas and stuff. We're going to talk about it, but this whole story for you, you know, we were sipping some mezcal before we started recording. And when people vouch, people that I trust vouch for other people. Yeah. Instant in. Yeah. You know, do you have that kind of a policy too? Yeah. If, if I know you and someone says like this guy is a good guy. This girl is yeah. a good girl. Whoever, whatever, I'm in. Yeah, as I will, I will respect anybody to the point where they start disrespe- disrespecting. Which seldom else. happens when when a good mate sure. says this person's rad. Right. It's like okay, they're almost always rad. And this industry, in <clears throat> very particular, is so tight mm-hmm. that you can figure out who is a good dude, good girl, whatever. Yeah. And you can figure out who sucks. Pretty. Cool. <laughs> it is. We got good bullshit detectors in this industry, I think. 100%. We, you know? sp- we spend our lives detecting bullshit across a bar. That's right. Um, I mean, I, you can't find a bartender worth their salt who knows they're going to get under-tipped or over-tipped pretty quickly, and yeah. they're going to hearken in on that. Six cents. Um, yeah. 
and it it extends to our daily lives of like i can figure out that you are going to be generally good for me mm-hmm. and good for my life or just a really good time yeah um or you are going to be like you're going to destroy my world <laughs> <laughs> oh i've been dealing with that destroy my world thing romantically for probably 20 years so i'm still trying to figure that one out actually very recently trying to figure this thing out but but what, why i mention it is you know, you seem to have a real compassion for people. Sure. Some of the projects you're talking about working in Portland, for instance, the, that are outside the industry. I mean, very compassionate, very much about making sure that people don't have the same privileges and the same kinds of opportunity that they right. can, right. you know. So growing up, it was this, and, and I find it fascinating if you care to share, but you're saying your grandfather, Jew, Jewish background, the, yep. the family, right? That he was in Warsaw. And yep. that would place them roughly around World War II, right? Sure, yeah. So, you know, coming from a Polish-Jewish background, you know, a lot of my family had, you know, the struggles that mm-hmm. most of that community had through World War II. Um, but from that perspective, and I won't get too deep sure, into the sure. history there, but um, it taught me that all people deserve respect yeah. kind of at the outset until they've pushed back against that respect. Currently... Me and my wife um, are running a program called Iron Will Barbell Club. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a free powerlifting gym right. for high school kids who are kind of wayward, don't really know what's go- going mm-hmm. on, whatever. They need a, a home. They need a community. And so we've opened up our home, uh, our garage, mm-hmm. turned it into a gym and pulled them over there. But that's, you know, microcosm base of like, we want people to feel that they have a place. Where does this come from? You know, uh, is it inert in you? Were your parents or are your parents that way? Like what encourages you to be such what I consider a humanist? I think generally speaking, un- until you let the world beat you up really good, mm-hmm. um, we're all taught that people are good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had the unique opportunity to continue through my life of not having anyone break my worldview. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you look at a child, right? And they truly believe that everyone is good. Yeah. Um, and I truly believe that as well, up until the point where they become not good. Back um, to once they're vetted. Sure. There's a moment where you realize these motherfuckers ruin your world. 100%. 100%. <laughs> but I, I truly think for the majority of people, they are good. Yeah. Sometimes they're just a bit wayward. Wayward's a good way to put it. Yeah. The, the core of us... It still exists regardless of what might lead us astray. Right. Maybe to, to paraphrase what you're saying. So this kind of thought about folks, I always want, I, I'm not, evidently not Jewish, <clears throat> even though there was a lot of people that thought I was Jewish based on my physical sure. characteristics when I was growing up in Salt Lake City. Sure, I always sure. found that weird. And so I carried it because it was the me, you know, they, they were saying it to, to make me feel like kind of outcast, you know, and, and this is not about me, but it was just a very strange bit. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but is it fairly accurate that Jewish parents want you to be financially successful? Uh, or is I, that terribly stereotypical? I, I couldn't say it from an overarching perspective. Yeah. Um, just because I'm not in those households. Yeah, yeah. But I do think my parents taught me that it is important to strive as much as possible mm-hmm. to create comfort, but mm-hmm. not excess. I see. Um, is, is comfort in the context of family, mostly? 100%. So yeah. as long as your children are happy, your partner's happy, you're not about to get evicted and you've got food in your fridge. Yeah, that's That's, enough. that's kind of the gold standard. Um, I think... And I'm sure someone will argue with me. 
Um, oh, just anything we've said, someone will argue sure. about any of it. But I, d- I truly don't believe that humans need excessive amounts of capital to be happy. I agree. I mean, you look at you look at data, right? And most most of these data things say eighty to one hundred thousand dollars is mm-hmm. right, kind of the perfect happy point. Mm-hmm. Anything over it, you start to stress too much. Anything under it, obviously, you stress too much because mm-hmm. bills got to get paid, car got to get paid, everything yeah. got to get paid. But as long as um, you're financially comfortable, yeah. Um, it alleviates a lot of that stress for you. So I think, yeah, my parents taught me comfort. They seem very down to earth. Yeah. So my mom, uh, my mom is a superwoman, right? She uh-huh. is a trauma nurse by day, firefighter at night. Wow. Um, so all growing up, you know, she was working 14 hour days, which was tough on her, tough mm-hmm. on whatever. Um, and she'd get home from the hospital and then her little pager thing would go off and you could hear it, right? Because, you know, my bedroom was right next to theirs and you hear these tones go off. Yeah. She goes sprinting out the door. You know, she's, wow. she's going to fight a full structure fire after working 14 hours a day in an in a ER. I mean, yeah. super tough as nails, mm-hmm. right? My dad is <clears throat> a was a world record power lifter. No uh, shit. His, his records got broken, but uh-huh. I mean, just a monster of a human. Um, but his whole thing and why I got into powerlifting is like, look, this is the only sport that you can do, um, where you can't buy anything that makes you any better. It's everything you put into it. So that kind of is my philosophy as I go out through my life is Mm. it's everything I put in is what I get out. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Because he's, I never thought about that way. I've never been a powerlifter, but lift regularly and understand the moves and stuff, but Probably do, you know, one-tenth of what you're lifting. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, perspective-wise for me, being one of the first employees at Kodigo, mm-hmm. um, this was truly the example of everything I put into this company is what I'm going to get back out of it. So yeah. I was selling the first 10 cases in Texas. Oh, shit, I know. Um, building the market as slowly as possible, as healthily as possible. But, you know, now we're, we're doing pretty serious numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been able to watch it just as I watch my kids grow up. I've watched this company grow up as, as I've been in Texas with it. I, I, someone was telling me yesterday, uh, just a brilliant woman in this, this industry. And she used to work for a big company, but the whiskey of which she represented, it wasn't big. Sure. And she was telling me how much she put into the gig. And you know this notion that you get what you put into it. I, I believe that as well. Yeah. You put you're an asshole to everybody. Guess what you're gonna get? It's gonna rain shit on you. That's sure. how it goes. You know. But also conversely, if you're nice, connective, those things are returned to you. And so she was telling me how underappreciated she felt and how much she had put into the the role. Sure. But then she recently got a new role, and she said it's night and day. And yep. all of that stuff that she put forward, even though in that moment she wasn't getting the reward or the recognition from that that company. Now she gets it. You know what I mean? So yep. do you think about that too? That obviously when you're building a brand, can I say Codigo or Codigo is better? Codigo. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So, which is funny because I, when you say it in that, that way, I think of Cardigo. So it's <laughs> kind of like Codigo. But did you, did you think that the work would, do you, do you, you consciously think, because you're building this, this brand, you say 10 cases right. at a time. Did you, do you just do what you can in a positive way and put out the good work and see what happens? Or you don't ever expect that it's going to return anything, do you? No. So, I mean, so background there, um, I'd left the bar world and went to Southern. Mm-hmm. Um, you were there like a year and a half, right? Yeah. 
and I was I was working a portfolio, which was a great portfolio. It was the premier team, mm-hmm. um, but it was just so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a hundred and something brands, all with all the SKUs running through. So it was just so hard to focus on one good thing. We I would pick like, oh, that's a really good thing in our portfolio. I want to sell that, mm-hmm. and then be the next month. They're like, you got to sell something different. Like, let's do that's this. So thing. strange too, right? Sure, I can build yeah. Anything that way. I, t- I you know I understand it from there. Um, from their ideology, right? Which is like kind of saturate the market with everything mm-hmm, as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. It makes sense, right? It This is a, at the end of the day, the spirits industry is extremely competitive, mm-hmm. um, high dollar industry. So I get it from their perspective. But I wanted something that looked back on what I had done pri- uh, previously and focus on one thing that I truly believed in and could get behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, these folks came and did a GSM, talked about their processes. The first thing I did, and I'm sure... Uh, there's a fine person in, in Austin named Kara Baker oh, who will remember yeah. this very quickly that I ran up to the stage and was like, I have 35 questions. If you can give me a couple <laughs> minutes, like I need to learn everything about this. So I'm, I'm if I'm going to sell agave, I need to know. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, from the, that quick conversation, then working with a few of those folks again, they were like, Hey, so <laughs> You, you seem wanna, to have your shit. You want to come believe in one brand? And I was like, yeah, I'm in, dude. <laughs> what, what is it about agave? Because you, you mentioned it. We we're looking at some of the bottles I have in the, the living room. And you're like, you don't really drink brown age stuff. Not sure. maybe to say you never did, but sure. not your preference. But what is it about agave, whether it's mezcal or acia or tequila sure. that you So like? from a general outset, it fits the palate that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get these like really bright notes that you can pick through. Sometimes for me, like once you start barrel aging really heavily, it becomes kind of a one trick pony for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I also appreciate at least. So back in the day, I appreciated how unindustrialized I felt like it was in my head. Uh huh. Oh, it's weird. Right. And so when you sure, see sure, it, sure. Yeah. So like uh-huh. back in the day, I was like, this is like, this is like traditional. Mm-hmm, I was into mm-hmm. it, right? Then I got down there and kind of broke the spell of that a little bit. Um, but, I, you know, I started meeting people, talking to folks, and I was like, wow, like, y'all are incredible people pushing this really beautiful spirit out mm. that also fits my fla- flavor profile. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck. Like, this is it for me. Like, agave spirits through and through, and then Sotol, which kind of falls outside of that range. But yeah. um, I I just got stuck into it. It's it's a, There's nothing like it. Sure. You know, I what a the thing I make an analogy I use is, you know, we're so we'll use a punk rock one. For sure. instance, right? Now I like green day. Don't get me wrong. Yep. And I remember growing up on 10,000 hours, happy slap hours. Or the fuck yeah, was, yeah, and they're yeah. still on lookout. And then of course, Dookie, which is, is a great record. I mean, it's, it is it's good record. bulletproof, you know, no one, no one yell at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we're old punks now, right? I think count. But at some point they, the songwriting has always been great. Billy Joe's great. But then they started integrating like auto-tune sure. and things kind of lost track in terms of how organic it is. And so for me, Mezcal is still the un-auto-tuned spirit. Sure. You know what I mean? But I think, you know, and, and to fall within that analogy again, right? Like I look at when I was like 12, mm-hmm. getting into punk rock. Yeah. I look at the Sex Pistols, and I was like, "This is traditional." Those punk fuckers, rock. yeah. <laughs> and then I looked further into it, and I was like, "This is the diffuser of punk rock." They were, isn't it weird <laughs> yeah. when you kind of see, right. you go back and you're like, "They were." From my understanding, it was a manufactured band, hundred percent. Yeah, like it was Sid created and, by uh, what is his name, Jimmy Savelle yeah. or whatever. Oh, Sal. Yeah, that's what oh, it is. that was a weird fucking story too. That's, yeah, that? problematic. Oh my instantly, god. Instantly, yeah. 
terrible yeah. thing. And we're not even from England. Right. But you're right. And you kind of see it under a different... So, okay, to further that, when you first visited a Palenque of moderate output, yep. did you start seeing that it was maybe not as snotty and as tattooed as you might have thought? A hundred percent. It was It was the... Uh, What's the best way to put it? I guess to stay again on this analogy, it was mm-hmm. the it was the Depeche Mode to my Joy Division, <laughs> <laughs> right? It was I was like, this is like old school, like mm-hmm. in the dirt, like right? Walking These around, finding gonna die any minute, <laughs> right, right. And then I was like, oh, cool, like this is pretty normal, yeah. Like I feel like I'm walking through my neighborhood in Houston, and like everything's cool. That's right. Um, but then, you know, you can get into it, especially like with our ancestral. Mm-hmm. Which we'll uh, talk about in a second. You, you, you got it. Ixcatlan, that's a real deal. Right. So like that was like, that was my imagery in my head is like, mm-hmm. I found this place now. Like, yeah. And we found this beautiful thing and now we've bottled it up. And like, that is my like, you know, I love our artisanal and mm-hmm. I think it's great. And it works really, really well with cocktails. But like when I think about it from a nerdy perspective, mm-hmm. like this is my one. There's this kind of like, I don't know if Peter Pan is the right way to call it, but people romanticize mm-hmm. the, the ruggedness yep. of Mezcal. Why do you think, because I, I think it's rooted in some not so good things, but why do you think there is just this magic and this kind of, it's not even nostalgic, because most people haven't been to Oaxaca, for instance, you sure. know, but why do you think that this faraway land is so magical and so romantic. Why well, I think that the people in the States kind of carry that notion. So I think I can infer the not so great one. Right. And I yeah. agree on that one. Yeah. Um, but I do think, especially with the rise of Mezcal and as it was rising, you know, late nineties, early two thousands mm-hmm. with Del Gay and like the single village uh, releases, which were incredible. It was also tracking the rise of the internet. And with people coming back inside much more than they ever have. Mm-hmm. And so, like, now we we look at Marfa, for instance, right? We've mm-hmm. we've romanticized this, like, west town that's falling apart. Yeah. And it's not that way, truly. No. Um, it's a beautiful, magical place, but, yeah. it, is, but it's, it is not what, I, what people sell in their head. Mm-hmm. But I think for Mezcal, the reason why people have romanticized this, like, very traditional rugged thing is because they spend a lot of their time digging through TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and whatever, and being sold these ideas without ever having to participate in them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's, it's the Marlboro man effect, right? Yeah, It's rugged and it's cool and it's sexy and it's whatever. He never dies early. Right. But at the end of the day, it's just like a box of cigarettes made by a billionaire company. Man, that's a perfect way to put it. You know how full circle that comes? Sure. When us talking about people that don't do, they just, but they critique. 100%. It's very, it's very interesting. So, you know, you probably had some choices getting out of Southern or as to where you might want to work. Had a but few, yeah. You were courted though. Is that fair to say? I, I, yeah, I would say that's decently fair. What was it that about Kodigo that was particularly compelling to you because you'd already you know you'd work in you said san francisco you'd work in portland chicago sure. yep. houston some bars that we know yep you probably saw a lot of bullshit yeah so um you know working at my at my last establishment before i moved over um and working with steve sharma mm-hmm. learning about agave spirits and he was the first one to ever put racia and bacanora in my nice. face and nice. be like we're gonna appreciate this mm-hmm. um 
you know, he truly instilled in me, like, it is very important as you go out into your career that you sell what is good and what does good as opposed to what brings in as much money as humanly possible. So check in on everything about the brand. So quality is a huge element, right? Right. It was one of those things where, and I was lucky enough that they were kind enough to answer all my questions. Yeah. Um, Because now here I am five and a half years later. Well, and we're drinking mezcal. Sure. It was a line extension, which we'll talk about. Sure, sure. Um, But it it was one of those ones where what was out there at the time didn't fit my philosophical bill of spirits and Codigo did. Hmm. It was doing it right. It was doing it well and it cared about the land. So I was into it. You know, one thing that I knew that I never was probably going to be as a father. Sure. <laughs> now, I may, I may slip one out. You know, men are you know, <laughs> 42. I can keep, we'll see what happens. Right, right. But how does that serve for your lens of what you do for a career? Does it mean that you have to have more because you've got three children, yep. that you have to have the proper time for them? Is sure. it money? What kinds of things do do you have to balance as wanting to be a good father and have the family taken care of, but also work in the booze industry? Sure. So um, I'm, I'm decently careful to keep work-life balance pretty strong. Yeah. Um, working the job I do and traveling the country as much as I do, often I miss things. Um, but, you know, and I talk to my kids about it a lot that, you know, I'm, I'm truly building a brand that means something and that takes care of its entire process. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's important is having a backbone in everything you do, right? So when you, when you jump into a brand, mm-hmm. you want that brand to have a backbone just the same as when you're raising a child. You want them to grow up with a backbone to say, this is right and this isn't. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Kodigo hit that for me. That's interesting. So... How long did it take before you knew it was the right match for you? Um, so they did. So there's a few perspectives there, right? Um, so they did the GSM. George Strait was there, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure we can jump on here yeah, shortly. Yeah. Um, and it was right around the time where celebrity endorsed brands mm-hmm, were becoming mm-hmm. a thing. Um, so I had different particular worries about that. And so one of my first questions was, is this a true, is this a backing or is this a person who truly cares? Um, And in my five and a half years of experience, he is not just a backer who's hanging out, collecting a check, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, in March, we were down doing our national sales meeting and George was there hanging out with his notebook, paying attention to everything. You know, this is, it was, it was a celebrity adjacent brand, someone who was truly interested because he liked the brand, not because he wanted to make some cash. So um, and I forget where I was going with that. So did it take you a while until they, you knew it was the right match for you? Yeah. So, um, they, they gave me the opportunity to ask a bunch of questions. I sent a ton of follow-up emails yeah, asking yeah. a bunch more questions. Um, it landed where it fits the bill for me. Um, so it was, it was a pretty quick turn for me if, you know, so you if, knew it felt like a good match. If you're going to be open and honest and answer all my questions. You're probably doing it right. Yeah. Um, and then I got in, went down to the distillery, and I was like, all right, like, there's the last question. Are mm-hmm. they doing it truly right or not? I got down I'll there. I'll be the like, judge of that. Right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Here I am. What What was I, a 26-year-old spirit nerd? Yeah. And I was like, here I am. We're the worst at 26, oh, man. man. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. And I think back to like, I was bad at 26, right? But like 19-year-old bartender me, yeah. it was the worst. It was like 2008, 2009. Uh-huh. 
I was like the craft cocktail explosion. <laughs> I was like, how many ascots can one man own? Oh man, and be an asshole about it, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which is a different deal. So one, of, you know, one of the reasons that, that I started the, the podcast, and it was great. We were talking about the episode that I did with Tyler, who's, who's a good mate now, and that that was an, a great experience for us to get to know each other, you know. Right. And one of the things is that when people pass, uh, Tomas Estes, I spent plenty of time with doing interviews with him, and so that that you can listen to that and that's that's exactly what it was like to hang right. out with the moss right there's a guy named benjamin carlotto yep. who had a quite a big impact in la and australia and interviewed him and so these things kind of serve as like reference material for what it's like to hang out with this person sure. right so i never hung out with george Strait. yeah tell me what that's like <laughs> man so I, i'm not from texas right so uh-huh. i had no strong context about here. like his real impact right? yeah I'm a, I'm a kid from chicago <laughs> so i know like you know i know all the chicago stuff but i got down here um i had known about george Strait, uh-huh. but i didn't have the true like texas experience yep and so like it's like oh it's george like i treated him as a normal dude he treated me as a normal person mm-hmm. um there was never any like you know i'm a larger than life guy he was yeah. like i'm just a really good dude last time i seen him we were talking about hunting down in south texas nice like, he's like you know my kid likes to hunt i like to hunt i enjoy this thing and whatever and he was talking about his true passions mm-hmm. but he talked to me like i was just someone he had known for a while um not as like i'm a fan running up to you and yeah. i'm gonna give you canned responses and off i go he's truly a genuinely ni- nice human that's cool yeah which it's, was w- that's refreshing sure ju- you know? super refreshing especially because I mean, around the world, you say George Strait. Most people know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe a baby doesn't. Right. But, like, kind of everyone does. You know, it was, like, fascinating for me. So, I went to ACL this year. I didn't see George. Yeah. But I saw Duran Duran, which was fucking awesome. Yeah, that's um, great. I still can't believe they can pull it off in their 60s or whatever. Anyway, that aside. Sure. I didn't know the looming and the bubbling love yes. that there was in newer generations of music fans yep. for fucking george Strait. did so, you can now do you get it like can you see it now so now i get it especially and i and i think about this a lot and i've talked to my wife about this ton i was doing a tasting at a total wine back when i first started and i was still kind of learning the allure of george Strait. Yeah, yeah um and i we had these little tin tackers they were like 11 by 17 or whatever the measurement was but it had george sitting on a chair drinking some repo uh-huh. and every single person who came up to me was like I will buy that sign no matter what it costs. I need it. Oh, man. And I was like, man, like, I don't understand this. But this was <sighs> like, I tasted through an entire <laughs> bottle. And you mind you, they're quarter ounce pours or whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever total allows. Um, so you break that down mathematically, and it was hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Like, I need this sign. And I was like, bro, it's a, t- it's a tin <laughs> sign. <laughs> you get pictures online, you can probably print it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's that true draw of George is like, more so than kind of anybody else, right? You got Kenny Chesney who's got Blue Chair Bay or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's cool and Kenny is cool and whatever, but like George, man, like it's different deal. Different whatever, animal. Whatever he touches turns to gold. He uh y'all got to drink some tequila together? Ooh, certainly. Very <laughs> <laughs> this cuz I cause why, why I, I'm going to ask this is because I think it's going to be a, a great answer, right? Sure. He seems like he'd be fucking real cool when he's drunk. 
George is kind of baseline cool all the time. Yeah. Um, it just gets a little cooler as time goes on. Man, did he did he ever share that, that are appropriate to share? Did he give you any of his like old timer country stories? So I I don't know what it is, but I try and not talk about his mm. career at all. With him, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I I am just kind of like, what are you into right now? Yeah, totally. Like, I just want to learn about you now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, while his career is fa- fascinating to me. I'm sure being George, he's talked about his career so much right. that like he doesn't want some like 30 year old kid asking him like his old cool stories. Mm-hmm. He just wants to talk about like hanging out and hunting and having a good time. Yeah. And like he's going to go golf. Like, and I'm like, that's rad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that's, I think that's great, man. And I, I'm that same way. You know, one of the things that I, I've learned in the past seven years since I've done this is we, we're the ones that bestow the term celebrity on others. Sure. We're the ones that create some kind of dynamic of that person's greater or less than. Right. And that obviously gave way to celebrity culture and stuff. Sure. But I remember, I can't remember who, it was some actor. And now I don't give a shit. I right. might have cared in my, my mid-20s and stuff. Like, I remember I, I saw Jimmy World in Los Angeles play Clarity 10th anniversary or whatever. Awesome. And my drummer of the band I was at the time knew the sound guys who hung out with Jimmy World all night. And I think about that because I was such a fucking nerd about it. Right. I didn't know how to engage in the same way. Right, right. But then I was like next to some actor and we're just talking about life and then everything got better. When you remove that dynamic of like, oh dude, but you did this and you did this. You can just hang. Right. And drink. Yeah, and and to be fair, my brain doesn't work that great all the time. So like, I don't remember most of the stories I want to ask people about. Yeah, Cause yeah. I've met some incredible people working for Kodigo, you know, yeah. their reach is, is far oh, yeah. and you meet some amazing people. But like, I get up to them and I'm like, I was going to ask you about that thing, but it's completely escaped my head. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm going to ask you how your last two days was. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what's, what's a topic you like to talk about? Um, it Just all, the, you know, that general topic that, you know, I, I think uh, I like to learn a lot about people. So yeah, I'm so. more of a question guy mm-hmm. than like, I don't I don't normally jump out of a topic. I am like a powerlifting nerd. So I talk about weightlifting a lot, nice. uh, which is horrifically boring, I'm sure, to most uh, people. I, I like it. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's three lifts that you're just like pushing your body really hard Wait, is on. Is it just uh, deadlift, squat? And, and bench press. Yeah. Bench. That's it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know so that. It's, it's three lifts. That's kind of it. It's yeah. one trick pony, but like. Yeah. You know, there is something so difficult about like putting up a monster bench. Like I was, I was just with a friend last night um, named Sally Perry, who's I think one of um, ninth strongest women in the world. Holy shit! If I'm sure, somewhere top. Yeah, she's yeah. incredibly strong, um, and she benches more than me. So like, uh, I find it all fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, you can push your body as far as you can push it. You know, right. I'm getting old and I got kids and whatever. So like. I'm not as hard as I used to be about it, but there are some incredible folks out there who just got it. That's so cool. I mean, their brains, you know, you can just push yourself so far. So I end up talking about that a lot in Mm. the context of humans, Mm -hmm. just like from a philosophical base of like, how can you train your brain to be better? Yeah. Um, And I find that fascinating, but. You know, I talk about music a lot. I talk about my boring record collection a lot. You got a vinyl collection? Oh yeah, I'm super into it. You got anything that you particularly covet that was hard to get? Um, I have a Warsaw test pressing. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Test so pressing? Like, yeah, so like pre Joy Division Warsaw test press. Holy I'll send, shit! I'll send you a picture dude. of it when I get home. Well, then I wonder why you mentioned Joy Division. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm I'm into like 
not sketchy black metal. Uh-huh. So like Panopticon, Wolves in the Throne Room, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But black metal, for whatever reason, uh, is extremely hard to buy at, at retail. Know. Yeah, I mean, Panopticon records are going for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I've got their new album, and I picked it up at retail, and I like tell people about it, and everyone's <laughs> like, "Who cares?" And I'm like, "No, you don't understand. <laughs> like, this was very difficult for me. This has been a process, guys. Right. I've been like, doing... I've been trying for years. Yeah, and I got it at retail, and I'm I'm so like excited, and people are like, "Okay, that's cool, dude." <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, that's so funny too when you, you talk about mezcal and stuff, and you're like, "Dude, but I got this thing." Right. And like what <laughs> they're smiling and they, you know yeah i you know i i have friends over often who are liquor industry adjacent but mm-hmm. not like deep in the trenches like me and you are yeah and i'll start pulling out water bottle mezcal and i'm like oh this one's super weird and this one's super weird and they're mm-hmm. like it was weird and i'm like <laughs> got it right wrong crowd like you know my collection of water bottle mezcals and my bunch of stuff that hasn't sold in mm-hmm. forever and like I think it's fascinating, and from like a bar perspective, it's pretty cool, I guess. But like the average person, they want a good spirit, they want it well, well made. Like they don't care right. about your super nerdy water bottle shit. But I, you know, and this is this will be an analogy. But love film, sure. And there's this story about a very, very, very dark scene in Barry Lyndon that Stanley Kubrick filmed. Yep. So dark, in fact, that the lens had to be so big, NASA had to build it. <laughs> now, tell me that's not fascinating. That's to super me, cool. That's super fucking fascinating. That's super rad. But you know where the conversation starts? Sorry, when the conversation stops? Who's Kubrick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we exist in this world where spirits are a pretty make and break for us. Yeah. Um, for the average consumer... You know, they, they know very base level, mm-hmm. but all they want to know is, is it made well? Is it kind of cool? Mm-hmm. Like, and if I show up to a party, are people going to think I'm rad? A bit of acceptance there. Sure. hundred yeah. percent. Um, you know, which gives way to like the Casamigos meteoric rise of like, we are the brand because mm-hmm. their saturation was so perfect yep. um, that they created cool. Oh, which fucking George Clooney. Come on. hundred you know? percent. I mean, brands chase cool constantly um luckily kodigo is one of those ones who we've found cool mm-hmm. and we're chasing that down the rabbit hole and we're really making it happen but like at the end of the day most people are just chasing cool yeah i think you're right i think yeah. that's a great way to put it okay so then it, that being the case for you and i mezcal is cool destilados are cool yep but how did y'all know it was the right time to get into mezcal so that's a that's a, a not uh, not super deep but a bit deeper than than like watching market trends and whatever. Yeah, yeah. While the market trends kind of matched up with where we wanted to go, it was me and and our CEO Ron Snyder, um, and uh, a few other people in the company and our master distiller just like having conversations back and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth of like, I just want Codigo Mezcal to drink. Oh. Um, and I think that it would be really cool to get out in the market because there are other tequila brands that are putting out mezcals and they're not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we could do something great. So it was it was less of like, how do we time the market? And more of like, we just want this thing. I just need this thing. Did you go and help source? And- I did, yeah. No, yeah so I was down cool. there hanging out with everybody, you know, helping in the blending process. Mm-hmm. You know, the conversations about resting our uh, artisanal in a saw blanc barrel like yeah. those were all conversations we were having and like in real time and testing it out in real time and you know it was one of those things where from a from 19 year old bartender me mm-hmm. um 
we landed on like this was my dream was to create this thing and yeah. do this thing and participate in this thing and i've done it um so that was like that was the highlight of my career at this point it's incredible man and like i want to be the first one to say because i tried both of these some time ago before they were to the market yep and i was like i kind of think i know where one's from and we've confirmed that a br- brilliant village and, and i like that you I don't like regardless who makes it. That village tastes away. Sure, you know, Scotland tastes away with that yep. clay distillation and that the bovine fermentation. You yeah, know, yeah. For some motherfuckers, that shit's gnarly. It's, when it's you see incredible. It. Yeah, I mean, if you find me out in the world, ask me to show. I'll show you that picture. Just find yeah. me. I got it. It's, it's so dope. crazy. It's super rent. But the other one, which I didn't realize, that is, you said Cab Sav that it's finished in. Yeah, yeah. So avocado con, which is super fascinating. So that is cool. that's nuts to me because I yep. haven't seen besides something con mota or sure. you know what I mean. Like I've not seen a mezcal in the states that's avocado con. Right. And so, how was that process? Was it difficult to get that shit through approval, being it's in a wine cask? So it was. It was. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not uh, super into like figuring out the like legal perspectives yeah, 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 of yeah. things, but I'm sure our legal department and folks down there and the folks up here had a hell of a time um i've heard rumblings of like man you know this would have been much more simple but we created this thing that is much more beautiful yeah um but yeah it was it was one of those ones where you know you're using two different espadines and a tobala Mm -hmm. you need something kind of carriage it back together Mm -hmm. um and if not like they get a bit aggressive with each other and that middle gets a little fighty yeah yeah. um and that saw blanc barrel just like cooled it all down, made it all super dope. It it was an element, because I'd been at a, a particular Mezcal's headquarters in Mexico City, and they had like 50 fucking experience. Sure. I tried some stuff in Saturn and everything. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But this is the first time I said, this actually makes sense. Right. Because on paper, I manage the largest Texas group of fucking agave heads, right? Sure. They mouth off. And they're like, well, that's not that's not traditional. I'm like, no, 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 yo, let's just fucking talk about this, because there right. is no tradition. Sure. <clears throat> or there is but it's you know five square miles of tradition you know right right but this is the first time that i had tasted it and i was like mezcal might be meant to be married with wine like this yeah and it's i think beautiful. you know from a codigo perspective you know using french oak yeah through our entire process it's not codigo without a wine barrel somewhere in it That's now fair. we didn't do it uh on our ancestral just because it was too beautiful to mm-hmm. try and start adjusting it a bit um but what we've noticed and I think a lot of people in the world agree with us. Um, aging in French oak as opposed to American oak mm-hmm. has made a much more expansive spirit mm-hmm. um, and given us a lot more range to do a lot of cool stuff. Recording all of that. Well, I got a couple of questions for you. We'll try a couple of things. You know, sure. We'll, we'll yeah. get done. But I would really, because of, if you're a fan how you love music right yep. you never played did you said you played in a punk band but did you play or do you sing? yeah i was vocals okay and you know my my you know i got these big fat hands hammy sausage fingers yeah right yeah yeah i mean they're great for weightlifting not good, oh, for, yeah, good point. for manipulating uh instruments yeah. i wish they were yeah um and like you know i'm i'm a little adhd kid so if you got <laughs> me on drums i'd just break the break the heads of them oh, I, I bet. But yeah i did vocals punk bands hardcore bands that's good did you get in how do you feel about pits? Picks? Pits. pits. Mosh pits, yeah. Mosh pits. Um, it's different in that category is why I So in hardcore, it's different. It's like dancing. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. goofy dancing. That's right. But I love two-stepping. Picking up change. And yeah, yeah, I love picking up change, grabbing for the stars, <laughs> doing two steps. I yeah. love all that. 
Um, I think there's a time and place for a for a mosh pit. Mm-hmm. You know, you you if you look at the punk scene, right? It's a bunch of kids who probably have tough home life or tough school life yep. or whatever. And mm-hmm. sometimes you got to get aggression out. Yeah. But you know, if you've been a part of a mosh pit, right? Like if you get just landed by a huge person and you fall, that whole room stops. Yeah. And they pick you up. Yeah. Yep. And so it's controlled aggression, um, which I think we could as a as a society probably use a bit more of that's exact pick each other up yep instead of knocking each other down because you i remember i saw raging at some machine in 1996 right amazing um girls against boys opening up great band too yeah and bulls on parade first song <clears throat> f sharp yep Bam, well f sharp above middle anyway so world, kicks in world went to hell that's right <laughs> i got knocked over so and i've been to fucking lots of shows and been in lots of pits but yeah. that one and I'm going to illustrate a point here, so I show you that I got knocked flat in one shot. The first note of that fucking song knocked my shoe off. Sure, yeah. Which we've seen that shit before. Oh yeah. And no one picked me up. Oof. But bad religion. Yep. We're dancing in circles together. Yep. Someone fell. Whole thing stopped. Picked them up. Yep. And so, in a sense, it's a metaphor for folks that are displaced. Sure. Again, you say school for families we find a community in each other. Yep. And it's a very, very striking similarity to Agave. Sure. Where we find, we support each other. We act humanely, mostly. Yeah. Then you get some people that don't do shit and then they stuck. Sure, yeah. But it's, gives me hope. Yeah. Mescal gives me hope. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of the quotes about Mescal, about it being the lifeblood of communities is, is true. Mm-hmm. Um, to go back to your further or your your previous point about picking each other up, and this is not an agave industry focused mm-hmm, mm-hmm. comment, but um, you know, mental health in the service industry is something that needs to be addressed. Oh, yeah. You know, we work long hours sometimes for not a lot of pay, and people have a really tough time. Um, and I think it's extremely important as you're participating in the service industry as a brand, as an ambassador, as a bartender, as yeah. a cook whatever it is before you try and walk in and make a sale or whatever it is just ask somebody how their day is going Mm -hmm. because oftentimes bartenders don't get asked how we're doing we Mm -hmm. ask everybody how they're doing and we listen to everyone's stories yeah we never get to get ours out so you know mental health in the in the service industry is extremely important to check in on your people Mm -hmm. i I completely agree and i i'm just so fascinated by people yeah and so i'm sure Inconveniently, I've asked those questions at the wrong time during service. Sure, Not to yeah. be an asshole, but right, just because right. I care. Yeah. You know? But so I got two questions left for you. But the one that that I'm going to change a little bit because of your deep interest in music, and we'll center it around hardcore bands. Okay. Right? So let's say you're sipping this ancestral from Ixcatlan, anywhere in the world doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But you could have a mezcal, this mezcal with any hardcore band member, alive or deceased. Mm-hmm. who would you love to just sit hang and as you probably do ask a ton of questions man you know the tough part about that question is i love straight edge hardcore i do yeah i got I you love straight edge hardcore yeah. so like while i would want to sit down with the dudes from earth crisis uh-huh, uh-huh, like yeah. sip this yeah talk about the land talk mm-hmm. about how they're treating the land yep i also don't want to get beat up by those dudes <laughs> 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 but you know i think uh i think um 
you know, like Scott Vogel from Terror. Well, yeah. now, oh, Ter- shit. now Terror kind of is like kind of meme of itself. Uh-huh, uh-huh, like uh-huh. it's gotten this like meme thing. Yeah. Um, I think Scott Vogel would be an interesting dude to sit down, talk about life, talk about the community, talk about hardcore, talk about mental health, talk about all those things mm-hmm. over a, a bottle of mezcal. I think it would be fascinating. It's weird how much similarity the two things have. Yeah. Community, genre, sure. local, you know, regions. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's an amazing way to look at it. And, you know, I grew up in partially in Salt Lake City. Sure. And I've, as a straight edge kid, and I was at those Earth Crisis Integrity shows. Yep. There was more violence at those fucking shows than I've ever... What, what else are you going to do when you're not getting laid and you can't drink a beer, right? Like <laughs> Those kids are chaotic. They're fucking chaotic. You know, I got Stay True tattooed on my feet. So nice, I've, nice. I've got straight edge tattoos on me. I was yeah. a straight edge kid for a long time. Um, I was also going to shows. I was a really violent kid. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why... You know, you're instantly straight edge and you instantly want to fight everyone. It's like, give me the straight edge hat. And you put it on and cock, cock, just fucking throw punches. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could all do with a little bit more uh, 108 than integrity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we should go with that range. I like that. I like that. Um, So, last question for you is you're actually heading back to Houston. What kind of travels you have lined up here for the brand coming up? Uh, so I will be in um, San Diego shortly, and then I will be at uh, Bar Convent Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Um, and that's kind of my travel for right now. I've got a bunch of stuff that I need to book, but I haven't gotten around to yet. Yeah. But I'm really st- psyched to go see a bunch of friends at Bar Convent. It's going to be good, man. Yeah. It's I mean, kind of coming out. It, it was one of those ones where it started. It was really strong. And then COVID hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was really worried that it wasn't going to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I'm worried that San Antonio Cocktail Conference won't come back. Yeah. Uh, but BCB is always an incredible time. I wish you well, man. I think that the travels will be good and everybody's in good spirits when you got agave. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you raise a gr- glass of good agave, you're going to have a good night. Yeah. I it's, just, I choose Codigo and I hope y'all folks do too. Yeah, it's good, man. I like the mezcal a lot and the, the tequila is good too. I'm not a tequila guy, professed, but sure. I'll drink that shit. Yeah, all day, <laughs> man. All day. That's good. Colin, thanks so much for chatting, mate. Talk to you. Well. Yeah, salute. Salute. Well, there we have it. Colin de Laval from Codigo Mezcal and Tequila. A really amazing chat. And I'm, ga- I'm going to kind of reflect on this for a second because, you know, I sound a little congested in this recording and I was just recovering from COVID, which that'll make you think about life and priorities when, it, when you're kind of bedridden for a couple of days with the fever and stuff. All is well now, but I, I had a recent conversation with a close friend of mine and she was telling me about how, you know, she listens to these kind of conversations and how connected they are, how, how deep they are, how transparent they are. And it helps me reflect on my life too. These chats, stuff like this with Colin, you know, talking about tequila, talking about mezcal, talking about the world, talking about how we grew up. This is really, really important. It's important to me personally, of course, because there's a mental health piece of this too that keeps me healthy psychologically and stuff, psychiatrically, whatever you want to say. But there's something to this that I think some of us are missing. These conversations that are truthful that are earnest, that are very, very transparent. And I have them a lot. And my community friends, I I couldn't be more grateful for the people that are in my life. But if you ever really seek in a conversation, you feel like things are a touch polarized, either you're 100% for this or 100% against this, 
these kind of conversations, they really, really feel enlightening and they feel very healthy and they feel very healing. So, you know, if you all are out there and we're in the same town and you want to have a mezcal, you want to have a whiskey, like let's have these conversations because honestly, it's kept me very, very healthy and it's kept me very, very optimistic. And I didn't even set out to do that. I didn't think that that was going to be something that happened with these shows. So Colin, thanks so much for chatting with me. I can't wait to visit you in Houston. We'll get a little, little more tipsy on mezcal and see how things go. Uh, I don't think it'll end up in violent moshing. I think we'll pick each other up, I suspect. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many times you've watched How I Met Your Mother and you're watching it again, or you're thinking this black phone movie with Ethan Hawke looks pretty good, please keep dancing. <laughs>